It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Good morning to you. Yes, Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian again today. Very excited. Have a really good show for you planned. Uh, Joining us later this hour will be Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. She is a Fox News medical contributor. And we will discuss getting you back to work and getting your kids back to school. I think it's something a lot of us want. We want things to go back to quote unquote normal. And we'll talk to her about how we can make that happen. Uh, l- let's go to Chicago. Uh, Chicago, we, we talk a lot about Seattle. We talk about uh, Portland with these insane, uh, with the riots and the looting and just absolute lawlessness on the streets. Now, that's kind of just been the lawlessness on the streets has been that way in Chicago forever. And, and we kind of ignore it. And and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember Father's Day weekend, over 100 people were shot in Chicago. And it was a blip on the news. And that was it. Right? That was it. Nobody calling for gun control. Chicago has some of the strictest gun laws in the country. So the mainstream media and the left ignores what's happening in Chicago. And, and uh, because they, their plan to end the violence didn't work. Disarming law-abiding citizens in Chicago didn't work for them. So we ignore it. Uh, last night, this is uh, cut for Eric. Last night, Raymond Lopez is an alderman in the 15th Ward in Chicago. He was on with Sean Hannity last night. And they were discussing the carnage and the killings and the deaths day after day after day in Chicago. I am a Democrat who actually also cares about the safety of my residents and the safety of all Chicago. So it's not a lost cause for the Democratic Party to be both a Democrat and believe that people should be safe and secure in their neighborhoods. Our mayor and the president have gone on for weeks on whether or not to have federal assistance. And just today, she's finally said, well, okay, I'm okay with it now. How many of our children had to die because of that back and forth political posturing? How much of this nonsense had to continue as opposed to just saying to the president, look, I know we don't agree, but let's agree to help put an end to the carnage in our city. And that's a Democrat there saying, you know, okay, I'm willing to talk. Now, he's probably, as Sean said to him last night, I'm really sorry, but your your political career probably just took a hit because you came on my show and we agree on something. Uh, Last night in Chicago, though, there was another shooting. 14 people were hospitalized after a shooting outside of a funeral. Let's go to Mike Tobin. He's currently in Chicago. Uh, He is obviously Fox News correspondent. Mike, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. We're at the scene right now. It is, uh, it's cleaned up at the moment, uh, but uh, quite a scene. All the witnesses make those war zone comparisons when they uh, see what happened out here last night. Uh, essentially, he had a black SUV. It was a pretty traditional drive-by shooting at a uh, funeral. 
Um, we don't have all the details yet, but it has all the makings of a, a gangland vendetta uh, type shooting. Uh, the SUV opened fire on the uh, on the funeral. Uh, we've got uh, witnesses who say that uh, uh, that the funeral attendees uh, returned fire, and that's where you get this hail of gunfire. Police said it picked up some 60 shell casings off the street. The SUV attempted to flee and wrecked uh, on nearby Carpenter Street. Police are only saying that they've got one person of interest in custody, uh, but uh, all of the uh, occupants of the SUV fled, and we don't know the conditions of the people, uh, the 14 people who were taken to the hospital. They range, frankly from uh, mild injuries to uh, to very serious. It's, it's just unbelievable. And it's sad that people only pay attention to violence in Chicago when something like, as I said earlier, 100 people shot over Father's Day weekend or something like this where 14 people are, are shot in, in this very dramatic, as you said, gangland style hit almost. Uh, and th- then, you know, a couple days from now, I probably won't even be talking about it again. CBS Chicago, citing unnamed sources, reported that police assigned a squad car at this funeral service for Donnie Weathersby. Um, d- did Chicago police know ahead of time that there may have been some violence? Do you know? There was a, a lot of discussion and, and, and nothing I can get on the record uh, because it really comes from your, from your street sources. Uh, that say that there was all the makings of a vendetta in this case, that uh, uh, that the individual for whom the funeral was being held was involved in a lot of the, the gang activity. And you really, one of the things you have out here is this endless cycle of, of vendettas in the chaotic gangland world. It's largely chaotic. Um, well, one of the components of making it chaotic, I should say, are the fact that the heads of the big gangs uh, have all been killed or imprisoned. And what you have are these subdivided gangs. There are so many factions of the uh, black disciples, of the uh, vice lords, of the gangster disciples. And these factions you know, within the black disciples will fight other factions within the black disciples. Uh, they really have become more along the lines of cliques as opposed to gangs with some sort of hierarchy and organization. And it doesn't take much to inspire a shooting, something as simple as a social media post can create the, uh, the impression of disrespect. And that, frankly, is the capital on which people trade in gangland. It becomes very important. And uh, that will be enough to cause a shooting. The people out here, as you saw last night, they'll go and spray a bunch of bullets. They shoot someone they didn't intend and create another vendetta. So uh, between that, the turf wars, the gang money or the drug money, the drug sales, the drug turf, you have this huge mess of motivations for the shootings. And uh, and it's very difficult to say that there's going to be some kind of an end in sight. And you have very few politicians. Teal Hardiman is one of the uh, violence interrupters out here. He's one of the few people I have heard try to put the pressure back on the people in the community who know who is doing the shooting. They know who the gunmen are. But as they say, snitches get stitches and they're not diming out the people in the neighborhoods. They're not cooperating with the police because the police are the bad guys. Yeah, it's interesting because there's that this culture and it's in I've, I've noticed this and had this discussion with many people that and you're right, stitch, snitches get stitches is a very popular saying in a lot of these inner city neighborhoods. If a police officer is does something wrong, shoots someone or, or there is some kind of altercation. There is video. Everybody's seen something. People are lining up to give their statements of what they saw. But if a cop gets shot or something like this happens, nobody saw a darn thing. And that culture protects these people. And then you can, they can't, if you're going to protect them, you really can't complain that your family members are dying because they're getting shot when they walk out the door because you're protecting the people who are doing it. 
Well, it certainly happens, and this has been going on for a long time. Before I was a reporter, that whole cycle of, uh, you know, the code of silence uh, in the neighborhoods, and uh, you think of the old gangster movies from the East Coast, there's nothing worse than being a rat. And that's the way people think out in the neighborhoods. But the fact is they do know who the gunmen are. Yeah. And they know who's active. They can see the drug corners. They've got the information in the neighborhoods, and they're not sharing it with police because you know, police are the are the opponents out here. And you know the other thing that I've noticed out here, and I've dealt a lot with the uh, with the gangsters. The one they're very young. When you start getting to be you know eighteen, nineteen years old, you're an old gangster. And uh, two, they're they're hopeless. They uh, don't have any hope of getting out of the neighborhood and getting into a better life. The lives that you and I have where you got a lousy job to get a better job, which got you to a better job, and now you've got a 401K and you're looking forward to a secure retirement, that's a trip to Mars for these guys. They mm-hmm. don't get it. It doesn't seem attainable. And the only resume that they're really concerned about, um, you know, the shooting and doing a little time, getting a felony, uh, it kind of looks good on that resume. So they really approach life from a, from a, from a, a, a different perspective, and it's a, it's, it's a terribly hopeless perspective, and it's sad. I was just going to say, it sounds very sad. Now, it seems as if the mayor is going to try to take a step, step in the right direction. Maybe they have hit critical mass that she said that they are going to receive uh, federal agents' help. They will receive resources that they're going to plug into existing federal agencies, and they're going to work with them on a regular basis to help manage and suppress crime in the city. Has it finally hit critical mass in Chicago? You know, to see uh, Mayor Lightfoot back up from that position, in fact, if I uh, uh, look at the tweet that she sent out earlier, she said, under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents. Uh, that's quite a turnabout when she says we will accept some federal resources. And she wants to you know, fold them into the different federal agencies that are already in Chicago. But if you remember uh, in years past, uh, they have taken the help from the federal agents uh, in the past, and you still have the uh, gunfire. Certainly, uh, once once the weather gets warm, the gunfire becomes part of every night. Yeah, and and when do the residents hit critical mass? You're out on the street. You're talking to these people. Clearly, you're you're talking to, as you said, a lot of the gang members. So they have your trust. How open are they about you know their lives and when they hit critical mass? Well, the young guys they 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 don't have a critical mass. They uh, they don't expect to live very long. Uh, they don't expect to be in this business for for a long time, and again, that goes back to something that's that's just terribly sad. And they just they just think you got to hustle and get your money today because uh, tomorrow is tomorrow is a big question mark. And frankly, that 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 is how they think, and it, it's terribly sad. The, the residents, uh, you know, they say they've had enough, but they're still not sharing information with the cops. Your clearance rate. Uh, the last time I checked, and pardon me, I'm not giving you an updated number. The last time I checked for the clearance rate uh, with murders in Chicago, it's ballpark around 13 percent. Wow. Uh, you can probably put a fine point on that. So there, you know, most of the murders go unsolved. And a lot of the gangsters uh, with whom I have spoken in the past all boast certainly that they have shot people, uh, whether they will admit to killing a guy. But they all admit that they pulled out their guns and they fired and they, they, they hit people. So um, critical mass for the residents. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big question mark. What, when will it be for them that they'll start to give it up? Because, the only, again, the only person I have heard saying it's time for people to start diving out the gunmen is the one uh, violence interrupter, Teal Hardiman. And uh, everybody else says, blame the cops, blame the cops.
You know, um, just one last question, because because now that I, I th- the questions I was going to ask you totally out the window when she started talking about being able to speak to the gang members and how they 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 they're honest with you. What about the parents? At what point does mom and or dad say enough is enough? I'm tired of losing my children, and they clamp down on their own kids, or are they not allowed to because the gang presence is so strong, and maybe that's why they don't they don't rat anybody out. Because they're afraid of retribution from the gangs, and that's worse than just trying to fly under the radar. Well, well, parenting of the gangsters is a lot different. Of the gangsters I've met, uh, none of them have had a father who is present. About half of them will say they had a mother who tried her best, but she had too many kids. Some of them come right out and have told me, no, my mother was a drug-addicted prostitute. And uh, so they have a very different different experience with with parents, and usually what happens with with the gangsters is about they get folded into the gang activity at about seven or eight years old, and it's usually about the time they start walking to school and somebody beats them up and shakes them down on, on their way to school, and especially if they're getting beat up often, and then someone they start folding in with a click, and then someone older will pull them into the gang, and the first person they see as a male figure. Uh, one that they admire usually is the most ruthless person in the gang. And then he's got the money, he's got the car, he's got the guns and he's got the girls. That's the guy that they imprint on. And that's the guy they want to model. It's fascinating. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you sharing all this with us. And like I said, I have a to- totally different line of questioning. I was going to ask. I found this just fascinating. <laughs> Thank you, Mike Tobin. Be safe. Please stay safe. You're in Chicago. All right. Thank you. Have a great week. Wow, do you want to comment? 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. And yeah, what a turnaround by the mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Your call's coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Unlike what happened in Portland, what we will receive 
um, is resources that are going to plug in to the existing federal agencies that we work with on a regular basis to help um, manage and suppress violent crime in our city. I've been very clear that we welcome actual partnership, but we do not welcome dictatorship. We do not welcome authoritarianism, and we do not welcome unconstitutional um, arrest and detainment of our residents. That was Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And as Mike Tobin just said, that's a big turnaround from what she said before, that she would not allow federal agents uh, into the city. She told Donald Trump, the pre- you know, when he said, I'm com- going to come into these cities, I'm going to quell the unrest. If you're not going to do it, you can't keep destroying these cities. Well, you have to protect your residents. And if you're not going to do it, I will. And Portland and Seattle and the other ones were like, no, you're not. You're not coming into my city. And that and Mayor Lightfoot was one of those people. Well, now she's saying we will receive its resources. We're going to plug it into existing federal agencies. We, But she, of course, had to say, you know, paint on the president as, as a dictator. We do not welcome dictators. OK. All right. Fine. But for me, it brings up a bigger question of how does the federal government get this under control? It is so out of control in some of these cities that just putting federal agents in with their hands tied, you know, asking them to to fight crime, asking them to to fight these rioters and looters, they're organized, they're using weapons, they're throwing bricks, they're throwing frozen water bottles, etc., and put their lives on the line for these people. And then what happens? They go into a justice system, which according to the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police Chief John Cataranza Jr., is broken, then what? The bold is there because they know there's no consequences. The justice system in Cook County is totally broken, all the way from the President Preckwinkle to Kim Fox, the prosecutor, to Tom Dart, the sheriff, to Tim Evans, the chief judge. They have no idea what real justice is. And that's basically the bloodbath in the street is the result. And I don't know if the federal government can come in and just, you know, just enact some kind of order without everyone screaming and yelling that it's too, it's too much. It's too harsh. I, you can't be nice with these people. Let's go to Jerry in Jacksonville and WOKV. Jerry, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Good morning. I'm a uh, Democrat who loves to listen. Um, I was going to say something different, but your, your last gentleman that you spoke to, I, I, I want to say he's about a hundred percent correct. Um, the snitches get stitches. I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. Um, Probably the worst place to raise a family. Um, yeah. My mom was a single mother. My dad didn't take personal responsibility for his life. Um, so it, it, it hurt. Um, I knew I wanted different, but I didn't know how I was going to get out. Um, finally, I got a chance to move to Florida. My uncle retired. He moved to Florida. He asked me if I wanted to move here. I moved to Orange Park, and when I tell you that, I met people who didn't think the way I thought. And I had to approach it with an open mind. And at that time, I was young and naive, a hothead. Um, I didn't think anybody could tell me what to do. Um, but I started listening. And um, 13 years later, I'm a successful business owner. I'm married. Um, I live in a beautiful neighborhood. I have a beautiful child. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Um, I don't know if I would have had those same opportunities if I didn't get out of there. Um, so you guys have a point. You're right. Um, things need to change in our neighborhoods. We do need to start trusting police. Um, but there's such thing as a blue wall of silence as well. Mm-hmm. But I think if we can rule out the bad police, and Kansas and, and New Jersey is doing something different now. They, they actually have uh, police officers walking the beat, getting to know the neighbors. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, I believe that it is working. It is turning the city around. Um, but I do think that Republicans need to visit these areas more often. Give us your ideas, because... I was close-minded until I moved to Orange Park, Florida, and I started meeting people, and people were like, hey, you can go a different route, buddy. You can do things different. You just have to work hard. And I had those people in my head, and excuse me, I'm getting choked up here, but I had those people in my head 24-7, and look at where it got me. You know what? I'm so glad, Jerry, that you shared your story, because you're right. If you get different voices then maybe you get different outcomes. You have a better chance at getting a different outcome. Thank you so much, and good for you for your success. Coming up, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat on coronavirus and getting back to work. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask. Uh, Whether you like the mask or not, uh, they have an impact. They'll have an effect. And we need everything we can get. The president saying yes. Wear a mask. The man, he he did not like being seen in public with a mask, and now we are seeing him more and more in public with a mask. Here to discuss all of this, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. She is a Fox News medical contributor, family and emergency medicine doctor. Dr. Jeanette, thank you for joining us. Morning. It's my pleasure. So the president there saying now, you know, everybody wear a mask. So, so my first question about masks is, if the masks work so well, why do I have to stay six feet away from the back of the person's head in front of me in line at, you know, a grocery store? And if social distancing works, why do I have to wear a mask? That's a great question. The actual CDC guidelines say if you are unable to social distance, if you are unable to physical distance, then wear a mask. And, and that's, of course, outdoors if you're around other people. But if you're indoors and, if, for example, you're in a supermarket, in a shopping center, and you're going to be around other people, um, you just it's extra precaution. It's extra safety because, you know, the studies actually show that this virus can, you know, be aerosolized and stay in the air for several hours at a time. So you're just putting yourself in harm's way if you don't protect yourself by wearing a mask. So it just gives you a little extra, you know, protection. Um, again, we're not asking you to wear it 24-7, just, you know, when you're in, in, in uh, non-public places. When you're, um, you know, I'm sorry, when you're in public places, you want to wear it. If you're in the store, if you're, you know, uh, you know out or, uh, even on a sidewalk where there's a bunch of people around you, you just want to take that extra precaution because there's data that shows that you can reduce the transmission down from 17% to 3% which equates to saving about 10,000 lives a month. 10,000 lives a month can be saved. And and, and more data shows that we've already averted um, a quarter million 
cases of coronavirus just by the simple use of a mask. Now, but when you say 10,000 deaths a month, that sounds really scary. But isn't that a specific cohort? Isn't that mainly the 70 plus crowd? So if we quarantine the 70 plus crowd, that number goes down, obviously, right? It potentially it can. But now what we're seeing, Mary, is that the majority of the transmission of cases are in the younger population. The average age was around 70, but now we're seeing it 35 to the 45 age group. Um, so it's, that is because of, you know, reopening the restaurants, bars, pe- you know, young folks throwing parties, um, not social distancing, not wearing a mask. And that's how we, we believe part of this outbreak and the resurgence that we're seeing, for example, in Texas and Arizona, Georgia, South Carolina, California. Um, but it, it's, it's not just a one-size-fits-all. You're absolutely right. The highest uh, vulnerable population is uh, in the, the older uh, age group, above 65, with, usually with comorbidities. But now, like, I'm seeing patients. I've had coronavirus patients with severe respiratory distress in their mid-30s. I've had a 19-year-old um, who was having trouble breathing. So it can affect anyone, yes. even though those at higher risk are um, the, the older with uh, the comorbidities. But if we look at the survivability, a Stanford study came out where they compared 23 different studies and they found that uh, under 70, that the survivability of coronavirus is 99.96%. And that's that's fantastic. So, but people, are we, are we confusing? You know, we were told two weeks flatten the curve and that was to keep hospitals from becoming overwhelmed. And, and I get that. We have passed that. We flattened the curve in a lot of states already, the earlier states, New York, New Jersey, think the East Coast, mm-hmm. you know, the states mm-hmm. that went through this earlier. Those curves were flattened, I know, in New Jersey in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. and But yet we're still locked down because now people are testing positive. A lot of people are testing positive. People are getting the virus. Uh, but people getting the virus doesn't necessarily translate into hospital visits and or deaths, especially in the under 70 crowd. So why are we focusing on that? Why don't we get out and get back to our lives as a lot of countries have done, even though people are still going to get the virus? My, my niece tested positive, her and all her yeah. friends at college, but then nobody even knew they were sick. Yeah, so you're right. And it's not every place that's locked down. Like here in New York, we've entered phase four. If you're meeting the CDC guidelines of the the trajectory, downward number of cases, downward number of deaths, and downward number of hospitalizations, then you open like we're doing, for example, here in New York. But if there's certain specific areas like Mm -hmm. Miami, okay, you need to, we need to, you know, press pause, rewind, hold off on reopening until we can get that outbreak under control. But you're right. We need to open up. We need to go back to school. We need to move on with our lives, but we have to do it in a smart manner. Um, If you don't have an outbreak in your community and you've got the numbers under control and the hospital capacity is is a good capacity where you can handle any potential surges or outbreak, then yes, that's when you get the green light to reopen and move forward. But there's specific cities in this country that are having difficulties, but we shouldn't shut down the entire Mm -hmm. state. For example, we should not shut down all of Florida just because there's an outbreak in Miami. Um, let's, let's localize and focus our efforts on the area of outbreak and then put our resources there. I want to talk about masks a little bit more and, uh, because, and I also want to get to kids, but face masks with exhalation valves, you see a lot of people wearing Mm -hmm. these, uh, these like N95 type masks, but they have the little plastic ring, like a plastic, uh, cap almost on the side of it. That's an exhalation valve. And you see those a lot on construction sites. They're saying now that 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 
the, they have an ability to release large respiratory droplets. And they're saying now that that could actually increase the risk of spreading coronavirus and putting other people's people nearby at risk. But I would have to think it's far more effective than the guy next to me wearing a bandana. Yes. So actually, there have been studies that show what is more effective, a a home cloth uh, manufactured um, mask, a surgical mask, an N95. Um, What was found to be the most effective was the two-layered homemade mask, believe it or not. But there's various ones out there. The the key is is just to make sure you're, you're purchasing it from or making it, um, according to CDC guidelines, purchasing it from a reliable vendor, not on the side of the street, know what you're wearing, and and try to replace it maybe if you can, like once a week. But there are various types of of masks. Yes, there is some data showing that that might be a concern. I don't wear that type of mask. I I like to wear the one that has the full coverage N95 when I'm seeing patients. But when I'm not seeing patients, when I'm out in public, I'll wear the uh, surgical mask. Um, it's easier to breathe, and it does, you know, um, provide protection if you are still keeping, you know, your distance and trying to adhere to the general the CDC guidelines. But before I run out of time with you, I'd like to talk to you about yeah. um, getting back to work and getting kids back to school. You know, a lot of places, yeah. the teachers don't want to go back. They're all scared. Uh, but the Times of London has a piece out, and they, they talked to uh, Professor Mark Woolhouse. He's an infectious disease expert. And he said, the one thing we have learned, because he's British, is that children in the 5 to 15 age brackets from school to the early years minimally are involved in the epidemiology of the virus. They are probably less susceptible and vanishingly unlikely to end up in the hospital to die from it. And he said, there's increasing evidence that they rarely transmit. It is extremely difficult to find any instance anywhere in the world as of a single child transmitting to a teacher in school. He said there may have been one in Australia. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. First of all, there are limited studies on children. And the most, some of the most recent studies show that under the age of 10, it's extremely low. The the rate of transmission under the age of 10 is low. However, be, oh, age 10 to 18, the, the study showed that you can, those children can transmit similarly to adults. But in this entire country, we have very, very few number of deaths um, in the pediatric population. That's very reassuring. It could be because their immune systems have not developed uh, as an adult has, and that could give them some protection against maybe the certain aspects of the virus, the spike proteins attaching to certain receptors in the lungs that that adults have that children don't have, but this is this is this is sort of a blessing. This is a good thing to have to know about. Um, but the concern is even, for example, if you look in, in Israel, they opened up. They had a major outbreak um, in their schools, whereas in Sweden um, there was not a major outbreak. In Germany, they didn't have any major outbreaks among the young children. So it's reassuring information. Yes, the teachers might be at a slight risk, but their you know schools are taking all uh, uh, measures that they possibly can to protect students, to protect teachers by disinfecting the rooms, by providing hand sanitizers, temperature checks, having protocols in place to keep everyone protected. But um, the average age of a teacher in the United States is age 42, and that is still in the lower risk population. Remember, um, over the age of 65 with comorbidities are at the higher risk. But um, I think if we just take those basic common step measures 
to clean, disinfect, temperature checks, hand hygiene, um, wear a mask, uh, space out the desks, maybe have lunch outside, classroom outside when, when possible. There's so many things you can do to make it yes. work. It can work, and our priority should be our children. They belong in school it mentally, physically, nutritionally, educationally. It's important for kids to be back in school. It just has to be done the right way, and, and it can be done. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now, um, in certain parts of the country, um, it, there's a major, major outbreak. They might need to just delay going back, like in Miami, for example, or certain parts of California. They should still open, but maybe want, want to wait an extra four to six weeks until they can get their outbreaks under control. But I think every child does need to get back to school because um, it's psychologically uh, important for them to have social engagement um, with their classmates, with their yes. teachers. This is how they learn. This is how they develop manners. This is how they develop the communication skills and learn how to share and be polite and, you know, have PE and lunch and, and work with other people in groups. So it's important on so many levels, ultimately. Just one last quick question. Um, yep. I've got someone here. Uh, Ed Ed in Washington is going to ask that was going to ask me this question. If masks work so well, why did we release prisoners? Why didn't we just give them masks? That's a great question because they're in close close contact with one another. And just think about it. you have two people in a cell. They, you can't expect them to wear their mask 24-7. Even doctors, we don't do that. When we go home, we can take our mask off. But when you have two prisoners in a cell together, that, that's inhumane to have them wear a mask 24-7. Uh, and, and so if it's a nonviolent first-time offender, I would say, yes, it's the right thing to do um, to minimize the spread of, of this virus because we're seeing huge, major outbreaks in prisons, in nursing homes, in meat of uh, uh, plants and factories. So where we know where outbreaks can stem, I think it's important to to take those precautions to minimize the transmission. All right. Well, there you go, Ed. There's your answer. Uh, Dr. (laughs) Jeanette Neshua, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm sure you're crazy busy. So try to have a good week. Thank you. You too. Be safe. Have a good one. Thank you. You want to comment? 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. You want your kids going back to school? How about going back to work? And what about the mask thing? I, I will be honest with you. I'm not a fan. I am not a fan of the mask. I, I don't know why, but I am going to be honest and say I resent every second that I am forced to put a mask on my face. If I, I'm a big fan of choice. You don't want to wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. I I resent the looks from people in the grocery store or the big warehouse store where I have to stand on the little circle. I purposely don't stand on the little circle. I just resent because the person in front of me is six feet away. She's wearing a mask. I'm wearing a mask. And somehow she's going to contract coronavirus from me six feet behind her through the back of her head while I have a mask on. I, I don't know why, but it eats at me. And I'm not usually a rebel. I'm really not. But I resent it. I don't, I, I, mm, I, so this is great for me because I rarely leave the house. So I rarely have to deal with people. All right. Your call's coming up on the Brian Kilmeade show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. 866-408-7669 is the number. Uh, we were just talking about coronavirus, but earlier in the hour, if you weren't here, first of all, you missed a great half hour. So where were you? Uh, we discussed what's happening in Chicago and how the mayor there, Lori Lightfoot, has done a 180. And, and we were speaking with Mike Tobin, who's in Chicago, and how she's now saying that they will accept help from the federal government, but she's going to keep an eye on it. You know, there will be restrictions because she's trying to appease the far left in the city of Chicago, who apparently are just fine with all the killing and the madness and the insanity going on there because they would prefer that to Orange Man coming in and solving the problem for them because Orange Man's bad. And uh, Dan from Lake Havasu in Arizona listening on KJJJ uh, would like to kind of swivel back to that topic. Dan, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Real quick and then just get your thoughts on it. I'm always fascinated with why the big money brothers in America from uh, Obama and Michelle to LeBron James, Spike Lee, it just goes on and on. Everybody was raving about the icon, John Lewis, what did he do, you know, about the problem. Um, I really believe they need to bring back the draft, pay some big builders to start some genification in the south side, and probably the most important thing for really long-term change is change that damn Lyndon Johnson uh, uh, welfare policies that, you know, throwing money at single moms. I'm not opposed to throwing money at them, but how about if you don't have a bunch of kids without fathers and all that, you get a you get a paycheck. Yeah, but then that that ups the abortion rate, and which is already horrific in these neighborhoods. Um, you know, you have you have so many young black children who are aborted, never get a get never get a shot at life, and I don't want to see that go up either. I, I think it's a very delicate dance, Dan. Thank you. I, I think it's a very delicate dance that has to be done, and. I, I agree. You know, listen, President Obama ignored Chicago his entire eight years of his presidency. You know, did he did he did he rail on about some of the problems in those cities in, in the inner cities? Some of the problems they have. We heard from a caller who said, "Listen, I, I I grew up in that. I grew up in Camden, and I had no hope. I understand what it's like to be in that. And it wasn't until I got out of that and I started to hear some people, you know, give me a different way of thinking that it clicked for me. And now he's he's successful." And it's a wonderful story. But people like him need to go back. I think people, I think these kids kind of look at like a LeBron James and, 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 and these, these big media personalities in the black communities, these famous people, and say, yeah, I want what he's got. But the only way they see of getting it is through the gang world. You know, they see they see the, the, the guys who have been in the gangs, the, the guy who's the head of it, who's got, you know, the gold chains and, and flashing a lot of cash and everything. And that's the easy way to get it for them. That's how they see that. Staying in school, doing the right thing is really hard when every single day on the way to school, you're beat up by somebody. You know, just, just leaving your home is, is some kind of political statement for them because they're not part of a gang. So there's a lot, I don't, I don't think it's as simple as just having these people go into these cities. I think there's an, a whole nother conversation that needs to be had and is long overdue about the way we're raising uh, the children in the inner cities. And it's, it's not just all black children. There are white children in inner cities and in poverty, maybe out, you know, out of the cities, but still being raised in poverty under some of the same circumstances without a dad, never knowing who their dad is, maybe with schools that are underperforming, you know, without school choice, 
with school choice, but it this way, with school choice, with what the president wants to do, some of these kids who have parents who are involved could at least have a shot at going to a better school and getting a better education and maybe launching into a better life. But see, they can't talk about that because they're you know, diehard Democrats, these famous um, athletes and politicians in the black community. So they can't allow that. They got to be against everything President Trump is for. Maybe it's time to start working together. You need to have voices stand up and talk about the families and these kids being born into into horrible conditions. So I think it's it's a I don't think it's just a simple turnkey problem. I think there are a lot of problems that need to be addressed because these kids do deserve a chance. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to kick it off right here with General Jack Keane. He's a retired four-star general. He's the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and a Fox News senior strategic analyst. General, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Mary. Glad to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, China, 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 big problem with China. Uh, I want to start off talking about the closing of the uh, embassy in Houston, why Houston and what precipitated this? I'm not sure we really have all the facts in terms of, uh, you know, what has taken place here. Uh, but certainly uh, the most recent thing that it's got the ire of our government is that China is uh, known hacking, trying to uh, steal the coronavirus uh, from uh, that te- technological development that's taken place among a half a dozen of uh, sponsors of the coronavirus uh, vaccine inside the inside the United States, that clearly has the ire of our government. And I don't know if it's, it's truly related or not to what's taken place with with the consulate in in Houston. Yes, and I wanted to, I was going to say that I'm going like it's a consulate, and I was going to correct myself because there's someone right now writing an email. It's a consulate, not an embassy. <laughs> so I wanted to correct myself before they finished their email. <laughs> What you know, this has been going on for a long time. What has happened now in the last couple of years that has made us focus on China? Have they stepped things up uh, during the Trump administration or is this the level they've been at with their espionage for forever for a long time? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Let's take a look at that. Uh, President Xi has been in power for seven years. And when he came into power, he was very different than his predecessors. His the economic situation had grown to where China had, be- it had become a behemoth, and, and uh, it clearly had achieved a level of domination economically that uh, China had never seen before in its recent history. So that's number one. Number two, there's been a, a very rapid military expansion um, of China's military, so much so that they're the most rapid-growing military in the world. And then President Xi came out with his China dream when he took over seven years ago. And that, that China dream, defined in terms of we can understand it, uh, 
is that China will assume its rightful place historically in the world, dominating the Asia-Pacific region and replacing the United States as the world's global power. And, and to achieve that, he began to militarize the South China Sea. He denied he was doing that, told President Obama he was not doing it. Of course, he lied to him and lied to the world. He clearly was doing that, and the purpose of which is to intimidate and coerce our partners and allies in that region, in the Western Pacific, and demonstrate to them, our partners and allies, that the United States no longer has the resolve that it had in the past and doesn't have the stature that it had in the past and wanted to break the alliance with those partners and allies. And he got no pushback, Mary, when he began to do that from the United States. He was, And he began to step up the intimidation and coercion of our allies. So that's number one. And then they became an economic predator as well, with, particularly with emerging nations trying to do energy and infrastructure projects for them. Uh, it would force the emerging nations to default on the loans, and they would take over the property themselves. And, and then the other thing that uh, was taking place is what you mentioned, is cyber espionage. Cyber espionage has been a part of the mantra of the CCP for some time. But under President Xi, he really did uh, step it up, so much so that the theft, theft of intellectual properties on a scale that's never been seen in the world uh, before. They, they clearly want to steal the technology that's out there in the world, and principally from the United States is the number one innovator of technology in the world, in the world today. So all that put together, President Xi put his ambitions on a fast track. And then came two other events which crystallized this, and that is the what was a local pandemic, excuse me, a local epidemic, the New Bay province, Wuhan City being the center of that. He shut it down so it did not spread to his power centers, Shanghai business, Beijing political. Made certain that did not happen, but he permitted all the international flights to continue out of Hubei province, particularly Wuhan City, all around the world. And as a result of that, we have a world pandemic, and I believe he consciously did that, Mary, knowing full well his economy would have a setback because of the, the regional epidemic he was dealing with, and he wanted the Western democracies, and particularly the United States, to also have an economic setback, which is a horrific conscious decision I believe he made. The world is holding him uh, responsible for that. There's world condemnation uh, that China is receiving that they've never received before. And then he got fed up with the year-long demonstrations in Hong Kong and made a decision that they were going to take Hong Kong over. They passed the, now the notorious national security law, which literally destroys Hong Kong as we know it. They're losing their autonomy, and they will they will cease to be an international financial hub. And he's willing to do all of that to ensure that the protests or pro-democracy movements that existed in Hong Kong do not spread to the mainland. So we have uh, President Xi, the, the most ambitious, the most aggressive, and the most malign leader that uh, China has had in its history since Mao Zedong. And this administration, as opposed to rolling over, which was taking place during the previous administration, is confronting China at every turn now. And 
and Mary. Uh, this is why Pompeo was in, in England, because th- they see a strategic opportunity to stitch together a grand strategy with partners and allies to go forward and confront China in the way that we confronted the Soviet Union with a grand strategy post-World War II. That's kind of where we are today. You know, and you, you've summed it up fantastically and answered a lot of the questions that I had. I want to I want to go to cut 28 here, Eric. This is uh, on Lou Dobbs show. This is my, Dr. Michael Pillsbury. He's the director of the Hudson, Hudson Institute for Chinese Strategy. Listen to what he had to say here, how he sums this up. The Cold War had detente and also moments of nuclear terror, like the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I think there are elements of the Cold War between the U.S. and China now, yes, both detente and moments of real terror where we might actually get into a shooting war, a hot war. Do you agree that we're in a Cold War with China right now? Yeah, it certainly has the, uh, it has all the characteristics of it. I mean, there, there are some essential differences, and I think it's important for our audience to discuss that. Certainly... We are, we are in an ideological struggle, a clash of values, much to work with the, with the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, a communist state, authoritarian, repressive, and Soviet Union was, and the, and the PRC is, is very much the same. I mean, the fact that they have concentration camps with close to 2 million people in those concentration camps, and we saw some horrific uh, videos of that where their heads are shaven, they're blindfolded, and they're, they're using forced labor, and they're using horrific sterilization and forced abortions to literally extinguish this Muslim minority that uh, they see as not a part of the Hind dynasty, which is very close to what the world experienced with Nazism mm-hmm. uh, in attempting to extinguish the Jews. So we, we clearly have that ideological struggle. We don't have, as we did with the Soviet Union, hundreds of thousands of troops in Europe facing off against uh, a similar number of troops on the other side of uh, of the border with the Soviet Union and and Europe. That that kind of physical demonstration is is not there. But the ideological struggle is there. The second thing that's very different is the economic situation. The Soviet Union had a weak economy. The PRC has a very strong economy, and because of that, there's a lot of interdependence uh, between the United States and our allies and China. Now, we're going to pull back from some of that, Mary, as you know, particularly Mm -hmm. in pharmaceutical, telecommunications, and anything that contributes to their military development. I believe this administration is going to be uh, very determined uh, to break that kind of support. But even after all that's done, there still will be a significant economic relationship with China and the United States and our allies just because of the significance of what that economy means to the global economy. And, and I think that will always uh, mean there, there will be some cooperation that will take place, as there had been some cooperation with the Soviet Union on various things. But what is truly different here today is this administration sees China not just as a country to cooperate, not just as a competitor, or as I heard a a businessman say uh, on Fox Business the other day, as a worthy opponent. Um, Those characteristics, uh, characterizations today are insufficient to describe what the PRC is today or the Chinese Communist Party. They, They, in fact, are a predator economically, 
right. um, uh, geopolitically and militarily. And as you mentioned, massive cyber espionage and massive disinformation campaigns. And, and we need to confront them as the predator that they really are. And I think that's, that is what is, is, is happening in the world today. Countries are largely because of the pandemic and largely because of what they did to Hong Kong. Countries are forced to reassess their relationship with China. In some cases, it will change dramatically. In some other cases, because there's so much economic dependence, it may not change at all. But the reassessment is actually taking place. Before, before I have to let you go, I just have one one more question for you. I actually have a lot more questions for you, but I have to pick and choose because I only have you for so long. Um, the Department of Justice criminally charged a Chinese national named Song Chen on two days ago. And Song, uh, she procured a student visa, a J-1 non-immigrant visa for use at Stanford University. And she lied about who she was. She uh, works for, she's still a member of the Chinese People Liberation Army. And she had said on her application that she works at a hospital and she names the hospital, but a simple search finds that the address of that hospital is also the PLA Air Force General Hospital. And so they, they also, they searched her hard drive. She had deleted some stuff and they got that, they retrieved that and they found a letter from her to the Chinese consulate in New York. She explained she was extending her time in the U.S. for another year because her employer, the hospital, is a false front and that as a result, she had obtained approval for her extension from the PLA Air Force and um, later explained that Chinese military approval documents were classified so she couldn't transmit them online because she doesn't have a server in her basement like Hillary. So is it time for us? And we, you know, we know the story of the Harbor professor who is being paid tons of money and he was arrested, allegedly paid tons of money. He was arrested in order to send uh, data, give it to the Chinese. Is it time to end uh, this, this exchange program, this partnership with the Chinese when it comes to research and allowing them to have students here and allowing them to do, uh, have researchers here? Yeah, the answer to that is yes, yes, and, and more yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, we got to stop it, Mary. Listen, what Director Ray, I mean, I, I, was, I was stunned the other day when he said, I have 5,000 counterintelligence investigations yes. taking place, and more than half of those have to do with one country, that's China. And, and what he really means is investigations that people are spying on the United States, either Either they're taking money from China, they're American citizens, as, as you just gave us a, a, a couple examples of, or they're Chinese nationals here in this country spying, spying on us as well. We have really got to stop any association with our, our labs, our research institutions, and we have to focus on any relationship that the people who work at those labs, I'm talking about American citizens now, may in fact have uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so, yes, I think the FBI is all over this. Uh, we're not going to get a play-by-play on it, but every once in a while we're going to get some information as to how extensive uh, the Chinese Communist Party is in trying to obtain our intellectual property and our secrets. Yeah, it's it's really out of control. Just on that note, I just want to play one thing for you that the president had to say uh, yesterday. This is cut twenty six, and 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 just I just want to know quickly if you think that this would be a good idea. Here's what the president floated. 
if China were first in developing the vaccine, or even if it weren't, would the administration be willing to work with China to bring a successful Chinese vaccine to the U.S.? Yeah, we're willing to work with anybody that's going to get us a good result. We're very close to the vaccine. I think we're going to have some very good uh, results. We're already in testing. Nobody thought that would be possible. Under the old system, it would be a year to two years before you could even think about using the word testing. We're not allowed to use, we're told not to use Chinese toothpaste because there's all sorts of chemicals in it. Why in God's name would we take a vaccine from China? Well, we would only take it after we've done our own testing on it um, and to make certain that, you know, the efficacy is, is what it should be. I don't think that's going to happen there, to be frank. I, I think we're going to have our own vaccine. And, and as we have historically demonstrated in this country, we will share that vaccine with other people who do not, do not have their own and make certain, you know, that yeah. they have the, the same protection that Americans Americans have. I mean, that, that's that's America. That's how we approach this problem. And I don't think we'll be dependent on anybody else, to be frank about it, and particularly the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. General Jack Keane, thank you so much for a very informed and interesting conversation. I really appreciate it. You know, good talking to you, Mary. Thank you. You, you as well. Uh, your comments coming up, 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, uh, we have got some calls here. We were we were talking about coronavirus a little bit earlier, and you just heard uh, General Jack Keane and you heard the president talking about working with China on a vaccine. Would you, if they come out with a vaccine, even if it's developed in this country, you're going to be first in line for it? I don't know. I may wait till they get like a good two years under their belt with it. But by then, coronavirus is going to be gone. So I, I don't think I would be lining up for it. But uh, we were talking about uh, going, getting our kids back to school earlier. Uh, Steve in Oklahoma on KRMG. Steve, uh, you think the kids should go back to school? Yes. Uh, our faculty. I wanted to, to give a little rebuttal. You made a broad statement that teachers are afraid to go back to school. You could say some teachers are afraid. Most of us are not. And and that's fine, you know. But but according to the, most of the teachers' unions that are speaking out, they're saying that the teachers are the representatives of the teachers are saying that they don't want to go back to school. That they don't, well, you know, they're they're afraid, and they come out with all these surveys that overwhelmingly the teachers are afraid to go back to school. So I have to go with what your union tells me. Your representatives tell us now. Maybe the Oklahoma one. Uh, your union feels differently or has come out with different numbers, but the ones that are getting all the press, sadly, are the ones who don't want to go back and are making demands. And I agree with you. I realize it's not all teachers, but I think teachers need to realize how their union is speaking for them and it doesn't make them look good. Maybe it's time for a little change in union leadership. I don't know. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for a vacationing Brian Kilmeade. You know, a lot of people want to get out, want to do things because we've had quarantine. Our two-week quarantine, it's like day 287 of our two-week quarantine. And uh, I saw I saw a meme that had that had Bill Murray from Groundhog Day, and it said day 116 of the two-week quarantine, <laughs> just because it's the same thing over and over again. And for some people, they're bored. Now, my husband looked at me because he he's an ICU doctor, and he said to me, he goes, if one more person tells me they're bored, I'm just going to punch them, because he's not bored. He's up until recently, he's been working his butt off, and now they're working to get the practice back up and running. And, uh, and, and you know, and I've been, I've been working through the whole thing. Thing. And uh, so, so neither one of us is bored. That's for darn sure. So, but some people want something to do, some kind of entertainment. You've you've been binge watched every show you're going to binge watch. You you've sat around in your pajamas and played games, and you've read books, and you've cleaned out closets, and and you've done everything you want to do. And now maybe you just want to get out. A lot of people just want to get out. They've got cabin fever. Some people want some kind of respite. So you know, sports season. We've got baseball season coming out. Tomorrow is the first game of uh, the baseball season, first official game. Uh, it opens tomorrow. We've had um, we had a exhibition game on Monday night with the Oakland A's at Oakland Coliseum. The San Francisco Giants were playing the Oakland A's. And several San Francisco Giants players and a manager kneeled during the Star Spangled Banner. We're back to this. This is the first time, though, that there's been a national anthem protest at a Major League Baseball game since 2017. And uh, this guy, Gabe Kap- Kapler, who who kneeled, is the is believed to be the first ma- uh, Major League Baseball manager to kneel for the national anthem, the first head coach in any of the four major North American sports leagues to participate in this type of protest. So here we go. Here we go again. And Major League Baseball is doubling down on this because people were tweeting, please stop with this. Black lives matter, but it's a polarizing topic. Please keep politics out of baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball tweeted back, supporting our players and supporting equality is not political. Uh, Another Twitter tweeter wrote, uh, you kneel, you're disrespecting the military. Major League Baseball tweeted back, it has never been about the military or the flag. The players and coaches are using their platforms to peacefully protest. It's interesting because it's not about the flag, it's not about the military, yet they only kneel during the national anthem. Hmm. What does that say to me? It says it's pretty much about all those things. That's what it says to me. And I've learned from the left that it's not the intent, it's how it's received. So a person's intent doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they say something with malice, it's how it's received. And if someone who is receiving the messages is sensitive, like Aunt Jemima on the pancake syrup, her family is livid that they're taking her off of it. That doesn't matter. It's because some people are offended by seeing her. That's all that matters. Well, I'm offended by you kneeling during the national anthem. Does that not matter? Apparently not. So this is where they switch their, you know, they switch the message. Uh, Major League Baseball, though, promoting this. 
Now the hashtag boycott MLB is trending, trending on Twitter uh, since Tuesday. And uh, the but Major League Baseball not backing down. They're doubling down. You've got the NBA, the NBA now uh, in Orlando where they're having their um, their uh, practice games or they're having ex- exhibition games right there on the main court, painted as part of the logo on the court. Black Lives Matter. You have each player is permitted to replace his last name on the back of his jersey with a pre-approved message or expression. And they also agreed to, uh, so that, that they've agreed to. So it has to be approved, but you can put some political message on the back of your jersey. For the love of all that's holy, can I not just watch a ball game and not have to everything I do be some kind of political statement? Really? Like, is everything that we do now some kind of political statement. So I say, for instance, I'm not a huge fan of Starbucks. That's just me. I, I don't like to spend a lot of money for coffee. And I think there's comparable or better coffee out there at other places. But because I don't like, does that mean that I don't support Black Lives Matter? Or because when I walk into a place and the barista is wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, I'm like, even my coffee's political now. Really? I came in here for a latte. That's all I want. I don't want a politically charged latte. So are people going to stop consuming these things? Just stop going out. Stop watching sporting events because everything is a message. Shut up and play. Just play. It doesn't mean that I don't care about black lives. It doesn't mean that I don't care about whatever your cause happens to be. It's not that I don't think the police brutality is wrong. It's just that I just want to relax. I just want to chill. I don't want, I don't want to be constantly being pounded with some kind of political message. I just want to enjoy my coffee. That's it. And a bagel. It's just a bagel. Can I have the bagel? That's all I want. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. And I'm sure somebody out there is going to hammer me on this that I don't care about black lives because I don't think that the 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 phrase black lives matter belongs on a basketball court. It's a basketball game. I want to come here with my kids and enjoy. Uh, Actually we have some say here. Here is uh, Gabe Kapler from the San Francisco giants. The manager, he was asked about taking a knee because he had to be the first, right? I'm sure he had to be the first. He was going to make his statement. Here he is. I wanted to use my platform to demonstrate my dissatisfaction with the way we've handled racism in our country. <sighs> yeah, we fought a war. Why don't, why can't we look at how far we've come? Why does everything have to be thrown out? Why does all the good in our history have to be thrown out because of a bad cop? What happened to George Floyd was terrible, terrible, but we're going to throw out all of American history. We're going to throw out the, the, the lives, the hundreds of thousands of lives, Americans who were killed fighting the Civil War because of a bad cop. Yes, there are bad cops, but you know what? That's not the majority of cops. It's a small minority. They're the ones who get the publicity. You know what? There are bad basketball players. There are, there are sports, there are athletes who do bad things, who do horrific things, but we don't judge them all. Right. We're always being told, don't judge. Don't judge all Muslims based on 9-11. Okay, I agree with that. But yet we're going to judge all cops and, and, and indict the entire country based on the actions of a few. I don't agree with that. Let's go to Bill in Georgia. Bill, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. How are you doing? 
I'm doing just fine. So what do you think about this now? Even when you go to see a game now, there's got to be a social justice statement. Well, first off, uh, pro, pro football got rid of me uh, several years ago, uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, and his, uh, his little scheme. It's still a scheme, and so it don't, it's not allowed in my living room any longer. I will not watch NFL football. I love college. I love high school. I love sports altogether. But I don't like the message that it's sending, sending and I don't believe in, in what they're doing. First off, the young people need to earn their way. They're not earning their way. Everything this country's built on is people, is blood. It's a bloodline. And, and the veterans, the reason we live in a free country is because of people that sacrifice. These people ain't give nothing. Half of them live in the attic of their family and they want to run the country. They can't even run their own household. I got issues with it. I, yes, you do, Bill. Thank you so much. I I appreciate your call. Here's the thing. You know, you, you heard uh, that, that manager there, Gabe uh, Kapler, saying, you know, I wanted to, you know, make, make my political statement. Guess what? Most of us, when we go to work, we can't make our political statement. Welcome to the real world. There should be a separation. You go to work and you do your job and you make your political statements on your own time. Now that everyone feel has says they have this right to make a political statement, unless, of course, you don't want to bake a cake for somebody, you're not allowed to make that political statement at work. That one's not allowed. They compel speech. You have to say the right thing. You must say it. You, you have to do it in public at work. And if your employer doesn't allow it, they tear them down. That's not the real world. I don't get to make all my political statements at work. But believe me, me, there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but I don't because I want to keep my job. I know there's a time and place. Time and place. The place is not work, at least in my world. But that doesn't mean you don't have the right to say it on your own time. Let's head to Vermont and talk to Heath on WVMT. Hey, Heath, hi. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, now see, this is where I think... The right is being triggered a little bit, and I am a huge, I am a 100% Trump supporter. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush about that. But you can't be, you can't accuse one side of being triggered of one thing and then, and then be triggered by this. True freedom to me is, hey, they go out there, they play the game, um, and if they have something on the back of their shirt that, uh, that bothers you, get over it. Get over it, watch the game, or get over it and don't watch the game. Get over it when you're at the coffee shop one way or the other. Um, that's capitalism at work. Put your dollars where your, where, where your thoughts are. And, uh, and that's what I do. I, 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 I stop. That is true freedom. I've, well, and I, I, but I will disagree with you. Are you allowed to go into work, you know, carrying a banner or set up a banner outside your cubicle that says, you know, free the Uyghurs or free Hong Kong or whatever it happens to be? Are you allowed to do that? As luck has it, I am a farmer. I am free to do whatever the okay. hell I want as long as as long as I don't uh, pollute, uh, as long as I don't yeah. put animals where they're not supposed to be, and I don't pollute for the greater good. Um, and I'm bad for anybody that has to go to work in that cubicle. Huh? Yeah, well, but that, but and and good for you being a farmer. By the way, we need more of you. So so good for you for what you do, Heath, and thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for that. But the rest of us, most of us, don't work for ourselves. Most of us work for someone else. And a lot of us have dress codes. You have to wear certain things to work. You can't show up in your pajama bottoms. Imagine that. You have to wear a uniform. You have to put on the dumb hat if, if that's the type of job you have. You got to put the name tag on if that's the type of job you have. 
the the boss gets to make the rules. That's the way it works. And if the boss doesn't want political statements in the workplace, then the boss gets to say no political statements in the workplace. That's simple. Just because you're, you're an overpaid athlete doesn't mean that you get to, to make the rules. At least I don't think that's how it works in the real world, but that's just me. So I do, I, I vote with my dollar. I do exactly what he says. And there's a difference with the triggering he said there. Yeah, I can see where people get triggered about this. But the difference is, is on the right, we don't try to tear you down and we don't try to shut you up or control your speech. We walk away and we don't deal with you. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, protest and loot and riot. We allow you your free speech, but we walk away, but we don't try to shut you up. And that's the difference. 866-408-7669. More of your calls. There's a lot of them coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Disagree with Brian? Call now and tell him why. Can somebody attack me, please? 866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, uh, NBA revealing uh, court uh, the courts uh, where people, all the NBA courts that where they're going to be playing have Black Lives Matter written on it, and the players are now going to be allowed to have not have their last name on the back of their jersey. They can put a um, a pre-approved statement on the back of their jersey, a message or an expression. Uh, they they say that um, it is now part of the game. Social justice is now part of the comp- social just wait social justice initiatives and political expression are part of the competition now in the NBA. Uh, the national anthem. You got Major League Baseball defending the kneeling during the national anthem. I, as you heard me say, and I'm going to say it again because someone's going to write me an email. I know it's coming. I'm not saying. Your political opinion doesn't matter. You're, you have every right to your political opinion. I'm just saying that if I pay to go to a ball game, I want to see a ball game. I want to enjoy a hot dog without a side order of political pandering or, or lecturing. Lecturing is the worst, the lecturing from these people. I, I, don't, I don't want this. I didn't come here for your political opinion. I just want to watch a game. It's all I want. And I, I don't like this political social justice everywhere I go. So, all right. Uh, I, will this, will this change how you view sports too? Uh, Jeff listening online in Raleigh, North Carolina, Jeff, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Thank you for taking my call. Let me preface what the three points I'm going to make by asking you one question. How long has your family been in America? Since the 1930s. Okay. Well, my family here was here at least a couple of hundred years before yours. I'm an African American and my family were actually slaves. Um, I was born during Jim Crow, which science says no whites, no blacks. So I did study on the history of America, and I found out that the author of the National Anthem was a slave owner. And he actually wrote in the National Anthem that runaway slaves and hirelings should be killed. So if I make a conscious decision not to stand as an African-American who sadly was enslaved for a song written by... um, were forced upon us as a national anthem. 
It wasn't collective. The American people didn't say, hey, let's make this mess to a therapy. A segregationist president did that. Why can't I kneel, cry, walk, or just lay prostrate during a national anthem if freedom is what America is all about? You can do that in your front lawn for all I care. I don't think you should be allowed to do it at work. That's all I'm saying. I I truly don't care. If that upsets you, that's good. But let me ask you a question since you did the research. Where did the slaves come from? They came from Africa. And how? And did they just walk onto the boats? Wait, wait. Did they just walk on? Did they just jump into the boats? Did they just jump into the boats? So how did they get into the boats? Let me answer. My grandmother taught me a long time ago. She said, Jeff, when I call you in a room for what you did, don't you tell me about anybody else. I ask what you did. If the uh-huh. founders slaved and raped and sold human beings, yes. that God didn't say, well, uh, they're doing it in another country. He asks you for what you okay. do. When he, when, when he sees you at the end of our lives, uh-huh. he's going to ask what you did. You can't say, well, just did this. Or my producer. I understand you're deflecting. Let me ask you a question. I understand. Don't ask me about that. I'm asking because if we're going to erase history because of something that someone did in the 1600s, let's go back and look at what other people's family in this country did. There are some people who are in this country who who are black, who are African-American that I bet you I can trace back to their family selling slaves. Now, do we erase them? no, but you put it in context, because guess what? This country, oh, wait, wait, this wait, now there's context? You can buy your family members back. That's why wait. blacks, technically, you want to say own slave. They had to buy their, their human, their dignity that God gave all of us from white men. Who but you're you're, you're not listening, but you're, you're, you're dodging here. My point is, no, we got to go back. They didn't just willingly jump into the boats. There are black people in this country who, if we trace their lineage back, their families were slave traders. Because there were the, be the tribe correct. of Ghana, where Ghana is right now, that tribe that was there, primarily the Ashante tribe, became very rich, warring with other tribes in the area and taking the men, women, and children and trading them for goods and money. Okay, so you're let's go back. Right. And if you want to do that, we if you want to do that, we can go back and start canceling some people whose families tipped the first domino. Okay, so I'm okay with doing that if those are the rules of the game, but we're not changing the rules of the game, which good for some people and not for others. Okay, so um, I I don't I know people get uncomfortable when you ask that question, but that question needs to be asked, because if we're going to get upset for something that somebody did, who he wrote a, a song for this country, we don't look at where we've come and we don't look at what we've overcome. And you I think that's part of the history of this country. And you talked about context. We have to take it in context. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. Yeah. Happy to be sitting in this seat for Brian this morning. Let's kick it off here with Jerry Willis, Fox Business anchor, personal finance reporter, finder on Twitter at, at Jerry Willis FBN. Jerry, thank you for joining me. Hey, good morning, Mary. Good to be with you. 
We got to talk finances because people's finances are all over the place with coronavirus. Some people are working. Some people aren't working. Some people are collecting unemployment and making more money than they were making when they were working, which is crazy. Uh, some, a lot of parents, I was just talking to my, my brother, his daughter, uh, is in college and one just graduated and he paid for a whole year, but she was never in class the second semester. Uh, I have another niece who is in college. She's going into her junior year and, you know, they got the same thing there. They're not discounting tuition for her. Um, my neighbor, right. same story. So they had paid for an apartment. His daughter's living off campus. He just sent her up. He said he sent her sent her up to school. He's like, she might as well go live in the apartment with her girlfriends. Um, they're they're probably not going to catch the virus. If they do, they're not going to be very sick from it due to their age. Because what else am I going to do? I'm paying for this apartment for a year. So what's That's going crazy. on with, with especially? Let's talk about the colleges to kick it off with. With these parents who are on the hook, are colleges giving a reduced tuition because, you know, they're not paying for, for food service because they're not kids aren't living on campus. They're not paying for electricity and, and, and water and all this other overhead sporting events and all this stuff. They're not paying for any of that. So well, okay, everyone's getting a break, right? This. Yeah. Tuition is not discounted. You know, I've been huh. covering this for months now, and it's just a fascinating story because you know, these schools, these universities, you think they're doing really well because they're charging a lot of money. Their bottom line is not that healthy, I have to tell you. So they are very reluctant. Even Harvard is not discounting tuition. However, if you are in a situation where all the classes are online, you can get a break on, say, you know, food services and stuff like that, obviously, because you may not be getting that service. But if you're looking for a break on tuition, forget it. And like you, I have a, a a cousin whose daughter, you know, they paid up, they ponied up a lot of money for that apartment off campus, and guess what? They cannot get a dime back. Yeah. So, you know, the university's influence only goes so far, and at the end of the day, what are you getting? That's what these kids are asking. You know, I've interviewed so many college students and wannabe college students out there who are saying, do I really need to go this year? I mean, why not take a year off? Why not, you know, like, can I get a job now? Well, you know, so let's talk about that because, you know, the one who just graduated um, from Villanova, by the way, my alma mater, very proud very of her. Very nice. Uh, she, you know, she had, did an internship with a company in the city and she wanted, she she actually turned down a job offer from another company because she really wants to go back and work for them. And they have kept in touch with her since her internship and have expressed an interest, but Everything's on hold. So these right. kids are coming out of college and they're graduating and that's great, but they have no prospects in front of them at this point because we companies don't know from day to day if they're open or closed. So how can right. they even get jobs? So here's what you need to know about that, okay? Because if you come out in the middle of a recession, I don't know, Mary, if you've gone through this yourself or not, but I have, it impacts the rest of your career. Yes, right? it does. Because you get paid less, you start lower on the rung, you spend more time lower on the rung because there are fewer opportunities when you finally do land that job. And let's talk about college graduates right now. In 2019, they graduated with debt of $35,000. I mean, that is the average. That's not a high number. That's the average. So think about that. That's pretty intense. It works out. On average, these kids are paying about 400 bucks a month, and you may or may not have the job. So all those promises, and I'm guilty of this because I covered personal finance for a long time, all those you know, stories you've heard about how, how you get paid a million dollars more over the course, course of your lifetime working because you have a college degree, 
it really, it's not shaking out that way anymore. Let me work through the math with you for just a second, okay? So keep this in the back of your head. $30,000 more a year is what allegedly college grads are getting over people with only a high school degree. However, those college grads are paying at least $400 a month to pay off their college debt. What's more, economists use this phrase called called opportunity cost. They've been out of the workforce for four years. If you go from high school right into the workforce, you're making money for four years and moving up uh, in terms of seniority, so making more and more and more. So you add that all together, and the benefit, the financial benefit of having a college degree is less than you might think. And let's be clear here. A lot of people are just saying, I'm taking a gap year. I'm not going to school this year. I'm going to try to find some kind of job. But I'll be back. So, you know, like I don't think it's the end of the world if you decide you're going to work for a while or work for the rest of your life instead of going to college. And I have found lots and lots of jobs out there and jobs that pay well. What about, though, uh, the networking aspect of college? I, I do think that that's something that has a lot of value, and I, I know you're spending a lot of money to get that networking, but I have gotten several jobs in my life just because of where I went to school, and they saw it on my resume. Right. I got the interview, and they told they flat out told me that. Yeah, but you're not networking if, you know, the whole school is closed down for COVID-19, right? Look, I am not arguing never get a degree. Don't misunderstand me. I just think that the economics of it have changed so dramatically in the last 10 years that you really have to think through what it is you want out of it. You know, like, I think it's something like 60% of kids who go into a freshman class in a four-year institution never graduate. Wow. Are you going to are you going to stay for the four years? Are you dedicated to staying for the four years? Do you know what you want out of it? So many kids go in and for parents, it's like babysitting. For, it's an expensive babysitter for four years. You've got to be more self-directed than that uh, because there's a lot of money on the line. That That's a great point. Listen, I'm not one of these people who says you have to go get a college degree. I think maybe probably 10, 15 years ago I was, but not so much anymore. Part of that is because I own a, almost a 140-year-old home, and I see how much I have to pay contractors. <laughs> they make far more per hour. My husband just he goes, he goes, I went to medical school and they make more per hour than I do. You know, <laughs> he's, he's constantly. Yeah, my plumber was telling me the other day about the boat he bought. I was like, really? Really? Mm -hmm. I don't have a boat. Let's talk about some of these high-paid, non-degree jobs. Yes. Okay? Because I just want to give people a sense of what this is like. And look, I think you got to make your own decision about whether you're going to college or not. I just want you to consider all the possibilities. That's all. Let's start with a list, though, because, you know, everything right now is logistics in the the economy, right? It's all about getting the Amazon package delivered to your house, UPS, whatever it is. Transportation and distribution managers, their average annual wage right now, $103,000. So that gives you a sense that this economy is creating opportunities out there, six-figure opportunities out there that may not have been around even two years ago. You've got to you know, keep your eyes on the prize and, and, and really be attuned to what's going on. Commercial pilots make $102,000 a year on average. Police supervisors almost 100,000 94,950 athletes 93,000 if you can do something with your hands you know you're talented that way electrician yeah. uh, uh wind t- turbine technician 
the real opportunity, I think, for kids with the right kind of personality is sales. Because if you're good at sales, you can work on commission and do really well if you're in the right niche, selling the right product. Um, and as we go into the end of the year and we get some of these COVID vaccines online, I think there's going to be a real turnaround in the economy. So do you see, do you see though, when getting back to get, talking about colleges, do you see more kids taking the path that we're talking about here? You know, Mike Rowe has famously been out there talking about the trades and I agree with him. You, you can, if you're in something, like you said, you're good with your hands or something you want to do. I do think you should take a business course because a lot of my contractors are yeah. woefully awful at keeping track of yeah. things. Um, and I re I resent having to remind them that I owe them money. Um, <laughs> It's true. And, and, but I, I think that you're going to, it's becoming more socially acceptable. Is it not to say that I'm not going to go to college and does COVID just put, push that accelerator down where it's more socially acceptable for kids to say upon graduation from high school, no, I'm opening my own business or I'm, you know, I already took my, you know, through Votech, I took my courses and I've already got a job out of high school and they're making money. Well, okay, so a couple of things on that score. I do find more young people are thinking more broadly about this kind of thing. I interviewed a guy just uh, two days ago for the story we did yesterday. Young guy, uh, he was just in love with being a pastry chef, being a baker. That's all he wanted to do. He couldn't even finish high school. He had to get a GED. You know, he had to go, <laughs> he, had to, he had to rush uh, out and start his own business. Now he's employing people. So I think what happens is a, some people understand what it is they want to do really early. And I mean, even software, uh, web developers, people yeah. who write software, they don't, you know, like they don't have college degrees necessarily. I mean, it's a famous story, venture capital story, story on the West Coast in Silicon Valley how these young people who are at the cutting edge of technology, they're web developers, they're software developers, they're writing code, they don't have college degrees. Because yeah. that's not how you get ahead in that field, right? Yeah. And you think about the people who start their own businesses. like, And it could be somebody who, electrician, um, the guy who does my lawn services, he has built that out. I mean, I really respect him. He's built that business out. He has tons of employees. It's just amazing. I mean, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? Um, where do you see yourself? Uh, are you out in the field? Are you behind a desk? I mean, you have to ask yourself basic questions to really get where you're going to be happy. Because if you're getting the degree, and believe me, I've seen this in my own family, uh, young fella, his dad wanted him to be an attorney, set on that, got to be an attorney. That's the only way for you to go. That's the only way you'll ever be successful in life. He gets into school. He fails. He goes into another school. He fails. Finally, he becomes an EMT on his own, works in the fire department. He is the hero of his town. You know, he becomes a fire chief. I mean, like, the story mm -hmm. is amazing because he finally found his own calling and it wasn't at all what he was being pressured to do. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of kids out there, they just sort of follow, <clears throat> you know, what everybody tells them to do instead of trying to figure it out on their own. Yeah. So so it, it, 
a lot of people don't think life is going to go back to the way it was, right? So do colleges go back to the way they were, or are they going to now have to adapt to this new normal? Because a lot of people are balking at paying the price when they're not getting the full, you know, part of the experience, which is part of the deal. They're balking at that now. So do colleges adapt? How do they survive this? I, I think there are big changes coming. I've been looking at this for a long time. You're already seeing colleges and universities, some of them combining. They're desperately trying not to go out of business. They're, uh, in some cases, firing even tenured faculty. I believe it's the University of Akron that might have done that recently. Uh, They're under enormous financial pressure, especially the smaller schools, especially the ones that um, are, you know, uh, doling out B of A's, arts degrees, these schools are under a lot of pressure, and I think you're going to see that this whole move to online learning, they're going to be incorporating that going forward as just part of the program. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you read some of these trade magazines in the category Chronicle of Higher Education, Inside Education, you'll find that there's a big group rethink of the way we educate kids now because it's been so incredibly expensive. And and think about it, education is the only commodity in our entire economy, the only commodity in our economy that we've said we're willing to pay anything for that. Yeah. $70,000 a year tuition, no problem. We'll, we'll just borrow it. Nobody does that with anything else, right? You don't walk into a grocery store and say, I'll pay anything for that gallon of milk. And yet when it came to the Harvard degree, when it came to the State university degree, we were happy to pay, you know, just hundreds of thousands of dollars. I see kids who go to school in New York City to get a degree in journalism, and they're paying 70000 a year. And, and you know they will never make that money back. Yeah. They'll never be able to pay that off because they're not going to make enough money to do it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. With that. I think you're right. And I think it's it's this this COVID thing is definitely going to make people on both ends of this, both the schools and the parents and the students rethink the entire path after high school. Jerry right. Willis, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us. Most Have a fantastic welcome. week. Thank you, Mary. Nice to see you here. All right, your calls, 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Are you rethinking college? You have a, a child in college, and you're paying that bill, and you're like, wait a minute, what am I getting for this money? Or maybe you're considering, maybe maybe you're of, of age to go to college, and you're thinking, wait a minute, what am I going to do here? Is this worth it? I mean, you heard her say the numbers sometimes don't really play out when you look at the interest you're paying back and you're paying this loan back over you know years, decade. I paid my loan back for 10 years. Um, I had that little coupon book because it was back in the day and I had to mail my check with my little coupon book every single month and my father had drilled it into my head to never miss a payment. It's the first thing I had to pay. Uh, and, and do you think life is going to go back to normal? A survey was done and they asked that question. And they found that 75% of Americans said that they fear that life is never going to return to what was once normal, you know, the way it was in January, not even that long ago, that it's changed forever from here on out. And how does that affect how you look at that process of, of choosing a career and, and your path for the rest of your life, or your children's life? 866-408-7669. I'll take your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So we're just talking with Jerry Willis from the uh, Fox Business Channel. And we were talking about college and how kids now and parents and colleges are looking at the college education and and saying, well, if everything's going to be virtual... What kind of experience am I getting? How much bang am I getting for my buck here? Because a lot of college is the experience. And parents are saying, wait a minute, I'm not getting any money back. I'm not getting a break on my tuition here. Yeah, you get food services if you're not using it, but the tuition is still the same and it's virtual. It's on a computer. And how is this happening? They're not paying for all this overhead that they normally pay for. So why don't I get some money back? And colleges and universities trying desperately to stay afloat And so they're changing how they're doing things as well. So we're talking about whether life is going to go back to normal. Three quarters of Americans say they fear it's never going to return to normal. Let's go to Brian in New Jersey on WABC. Brian, we going back to normal? Well, I think the the only driver of that is going to be public sentiment. You know, there can be all sorts of consternation about legislation and policy and politics and whatnot, but uh, public sentiment is the driver. And I think you've highlighted it pretty well as far as there being a gap between public sentiment uh, of kids, you know, going back to school and the teachers union, uh, and there's a there's a pretty big gap there, and it probably does need to be explored because I think the the public sentiment is on the side of the kids going back, you know, regardless of the science, maybe, but um, yeah, it, you know, there's there's definitely a, a big you know yeah. difference there. You're you're absolutely right, and that's a great way to kick it off. Thank you so much, Brian. All right, more of your calls coming up eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Are we going back to normal ever again? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for a vacationing Brian Kilmeade. And we're talking about colleges and life getting back to normal. Uh, 75% of Americans surveyed. It was a survey of 2,000 Americans. Uh, 75% say they fear life will never return to what was once, quote, normal. Uh, They were asked how they would envision the world in the wake of COVID. 59% almost. So basically 60% of Americans surveyed admit that they would be far too afraid to start reporting to a shared workplace once again. Really? I don't know who that 2000 people, they must've just got the scared part. I would, I mean, I don't, I love working from home. Don't get me wrong. It's sweet. But if they told me I have to go back and right now we're on track to go back uh, September 1st. All right. If I have to go back, I have to go back. I'm not worried. I'm, I, I don't live in fear of the virus. I'm not over 70. And I think if, and I don't have a comorbidity. I'm not obese, I don't have diabetes, I don't have hypertension, I don't have asthma. I, I don't have one of the co- comorbidities that would make it dangerous for me. So yeah, I, I I realize that that day's coming and okay, but I'm not afraid. 
36% have concerns that they'll never be able to get back to the office without potentially putting themselves and their family in harm's way. Really? Never, ever, ever? Do you know more children in this country have died from the seasonal flu than coronavirus? That's, that's a fact. Did you know if you're under 70, according to a Stanford study that took 23 different studies of coronavirus and averaged them out and worked all the numbers, the, the survival rate if you're under 70 is 99.96%. 99.96%. If I told you you had a 99.96% chance of winning the lottery, you would think that that's a really good chance. And I, I just think people have just been cowed into being so afraid. Um, 63% of participants flat out say their job will never be the same. So we're talking about the, the big question right now that will never be the same maybe is schooling and getting kids back to school, back into the classroom and colleges and universities. And what are you paying for if there's no teacher in the classroom and everything's remote and the kids are living off campus and you're paying for, what are you paying for? So getting, getting the kids back into those, into those classrooms in college, is it worth it? And do you think it'll ever go back to normal? 866-408-7669. And by the way, I just want to talk about that one. Are you, would you think you would be too afraid to go back to a shared workplace again? Do you fall into that 60%? Clearly, I'm an outlier because I'm in the minority on that one. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll go back. And maybe it's because my husband, you know, dealt with coronavirus patients for, you know, up to his eyeballs and never had the antibodies. Um, he never, you know, got the virus and he came home and I never got it. And so I don't, I don't know. I just don't have that fear. Let's go to Lynchburg, Virginia and say good morning to Bill. Hey, Bill. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Good morning, Mary. Thanks for having me. I wanted to uh, just mention a few things um, based on the recent conversation about residential college and tuition costs, things like that. Um, I am in um, uh, higher education. I'm a full-time, uh, full-time professor, both on and offline, uh, but pr- primarily residential college is really what I've taught. Um, uh, about, about a year ago, I did some research for my department in particular about uh, su- really suffering losses residentially. Why is it that many students between particularly uh, you know, 18 and 24 are not coming to college? Rather, they're taking a trade job if they're available or they're doing something other mm-hmm. than college. The research pointed to several factors. Okay, Higher tuition costs were only part of the factor. I would say this. The coronavirus issue with schooling right now is most likely the nail in the coffin for residential college. Here's why. Within the next, and this is according to the research, okay, and I can, I can send mm-hmm. you, if you want, I could send you some of the articles, but within the next 10 years, half of America's residential colleges will close their doors, okay? Factors generating the trend has a lot to do with higher tuition costs, but that is not the only thing, okay? Fear from violence on campus bullying, indoctrination of faculty and professors, and then higher costs. So all of that adds up to that age bracket of students either not going to school or doing the online thing. That's the comment I wanted to make. Interesting. That is really Mm -hmm. interesting. 
Ah, yeah. yeah. You know, I would think because listen, if you're not part of the group think, if you're not part of that, I, I would think where you you'd be very careful about where you go to school. My neighbor's son is looking, and he was looking at uh, a school in the D.C. area, and I said, and their son, you know, is what, was thinking about military. Is also applying to the Naval Academy, and I said, you know, it's a really political school, and it ain't political in his way. You know, he's 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 going to have his voice silenced a lot. She's like, yeah, he's probably not going to apply there. So, so there, there are very few places where they can go if they do are, are more conservative students because you're right, bullying and fear of being shouted down and having to live four years. I, I would think, think it's a pretty miserable Absolutely. existence. Absolutely. And on top of that, you have primarily at the residential level is where a lot of, in my research, indoctrination happens. It's, it's a lot less pronounced online because the curriculum online typically is video presentation between yeah. 15 and, and 18 minutes, and you can only say so much. And in the video presentations of online, most online curricula, what you say in those videos must be tailored to the subject matter. So and it happens at the residential level, while online could potentially be the best way to go to school could be could the best way to go to school if if you're if that's something that you fear indoctrination and bullying on on the college campus yeah very interesting thank you for sharing that bill it yeah. makes a lot of sense thank you i appreciate that wow that, that is really interesting i can understand i i can't imagine this this whole thing of no free expression on campuses i don't understand it but i don't think a lot of people do but they've allowed it to fester and grow right and so there are a lot of colleges out there. There are a lot of universities out there. They're all vying for the same pot of kids. Kids have the power. It's a buyer's market in that sense. They can choose where to go and where not to go. Uh, Rich in Ocala, Florida, Florida, <laughs> listening on WSKY. Easy for me to say, hey, Rich, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I need I, another I cup of coffee. Oh, <laughs> uh, I always do coffee. Um, I'm a restaurant manager that has two young kids, so it's not really about college. It's about uh, the elementary and middle school. And with the coronavirus, it kind of created a paradigm for me because my, I, was, I had to look at different ways to send them to school. So one of the ways was a flex school online where I control where they're going, what, you know, what classes they're taking, and what days off they actually have. So I'm never off on a weekend because I'm in the restaurant business. So now I can rearrange their schedule so they're actually off when I'm off and we can actually do things together again like a family. So the coronavirus actually kind of helped me look at their schooling and actually made it, I think, better for me and my family. So the paradigms are there, and I think the coronavirus is what created it. So for me, it's almost a positive thing as long as it works the way it's supposed to Interesting. It's great because so many parents don't have that opportunity that you have where you can, you know, where they can be home on certain days during the day. A lot of single parents don't have that. Imagine how it's going to affect them, especially, you know, with the younger kids, even high school kids. You got to know your kid and whether your kid can be trusted to actually do the schoolwork that they're supposed to be doing virtually without you standing over them watching them. You know, how many kids are going to be out wandering the streets or over their friend's house and not doing the work? So I think it makes it really hard on parents to be able to do that. So it's kind of cool that you can schedule it and that it's been a positive for, for you. Rich, thanks for sharing that. I do worry, though, about the social aspects of school in, in every grade, at col- all the way up to college. I think there are, there are a lot of social aspects of it that are really important later in life. Even the tough times, you know, e- even going through the hard things. Listen, 
you can break Guantanamo prisoners by putting them in a, a, a middle school lunchroom. Because those children are horrible and mean. They really, truly are horrible little creatures. And But you learn things there. You know, you tough it out. You know, how many times did my parents tell me, because I don't want to go to school because they're mean. And, and my mother's just like, uh, well, that's great, but welcome to the real world. And it's just an age. And when you get into high school, it'll be different. But this is what it's like at your age. And you got to learn how to deal with it. You got to learn how to deal with adversity. You know, and you got to learn how to handle the mean people in the world. You can't just sit home cowering under the covers crying because someone's mean to you. So as hard as it was, and as much as I hated it, and you can't pay me to go back to uh, the Hillside School lunchroom anymore, uh, I, I did learn a lot. There's value in that. So I do think there's value in the kids interacting with other people instead of just being home all the time. Let's head to Georgia. Michael, good morning. You're on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning, Mary. I love it when you're on the radio. You do such a great job. Oh, thank you. So, um, yeah, these surveys that you were mentioning earlier, by the way, that guy with the, that came with that research a few minutes ago, that was fascinating. That I love what he had to say. But you know as well as I do, these, these surveys fall under the umbrella of how can we turn the questions, how can we look at the stats to make them hammers against uh, Donald Trump. That uh, anytime anyone says survey or a poll, that's what I think. And I don't know, I may be wrong, but I think everything gets couched in how can we use this to get Donald Trump out of office. So that's that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you would you agree with that? No, I I think I think there are a lot of political things. Um, I think a, a lot of coronavirus and a lot of these shutdowns with the kids and the teachers unions is political. I do think there are a lot of teachers who want to go back to work, but I think the unions, because they are so political and because they're so in the pocket of the Democrats, are going to do everything they can to keep the kids out of school and make it miserable for the parents so that they take it out on Donald Trump in November. Life is terrible. Uncle Joe is nice. Let's go to the nice guy. And they vote for change because Donald Trump's the incumbent. And so you're going to take it out on the incumbent. So I do think a lot of it's political. All right, Michael, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you joining me. He also said that he would push kids towards blue collar jobs um, because a lot of them pay great and you just go to a trade school. And a lot of those trade schools you can do while you're in high school. When I was in high school, there were the kids who left for Votech half a day. And I think knowing your kid is also super important, too. You got to know whether your kid can hack college enough for the amount of money you're going to pay. Or, you know, my parents pushed us all into college. I had I had wanted to be a baker. That's what I wanted to do. My grandfather was a baker. My uncle was a baker. The bakeries in my family go back to Germany to, and the cornerstone of the bakery, 1776. Hand to God, true. We got to go back to visit it when I was a kid and everything. It was so cool. And I love baking. I'm pretty good at it. And my father, being a first-generation American, was like, no, you're going to college. That's the American dream. You're going to college. You're not going to struggle. And so the three of us, we all went to college. The only choice we had was where were we going to go and what do we want to study? But we had to go. I think that, that that mindset, that that's the way to the American dream, is really being chipped away. And I think there's a lot of good in that that there are other paths to the American dream and that if you can't afford college or you don't have the aptitude for it or there's something else you're more passionate about, that can do it for you too. It really can. All right, we'll wrap this up. Coming up, 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. One of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wrapping up our conversation about getting back to normal in colleges and universities, going back to school, and what are you paying for? As more kids and parents are reevaluating what they're buying, what they're purchasing, and what they're getting, what the product they're getting for that purchase. And a lot saying, you know what, I'm just going to take a year off and see if this is what I really want to do. And because co- colleges aren't giving you any kind of rebate on your or a break on the tuition because your kid's not at the campus because they're doing it remotely. So you got to look at that and go, wait a minute, hold on. Is this worth it? Do I want to pay off a loan for the next 20 years? La- uh, Laura in Arkansas listening on TuneIn. Hi, Laura. Hi, how are you? Thank you I'm for just having fine. me on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said thank you for having me on. <laughs> oh, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're so polite. Aren't you cute? Um, well, I just want to say that uh, I live in Arkansas. I am a teacher, but I have a daughter that will be a, a senior at University of Arkansas, a son that will be a freshman. And, um, you know, so far, the kids are going to be on campus. The university is taking precautions. And, you know, my son is anxious to leave this home. And, you know, go to college and have his experience. And, you know, we're blessed they get and go to an in-state school and, you know, it's reasonable. I would have to say that my daughter's online classes last year were excellent. Her professors had class. They met them. She had work. She had to turn in. You know, we definitely got our money's worth with her online classes in the business school. So, so online, you thought it was definitely worth it. And that's another thing you said in the business school. And I think that that makes a big difference. I mean, would you pay for online classes for, and I'm not denigrating anybody here, just say like an art history major or a, a dance major, or a theater major or something I like that. Would, I think it would be hard to have those, but I would have to say being on the teacher side of things, I think teachers had to work twice as hard to have an effective online experience. And so mm-hmm. um, they had in the middle of the year shift and, you know, reach students and do different types of assessments. So I think it is, um, I think it's hard for everybody. You know, I don't think anyone has been unaffected by this. Um, but I applaud the leadership in my state with, you know, moving forward, learning from the experience of going back, you know, not mm-hmm. hiding under a rock. And, um, you know, I think all across our state, I've been very pleased and, you know, kind of here in the middle in the flyover states, you know, life's not as bad as sometimes on the coast, you know, the way people talk about yeah. things. Um, so you're not but, part of, you're you know, not part of the 75% of Americans who say that, excuse me, the 60% of Americans who say that there are two of their, they admit that they're too afraid to start going back to a shared workplace again. No, absolutely not. And one other thing, comment that I've been making about a week is, I mean, I'm not really, I haven't done my research on this, but I feel like sometimes it's the privileged and those in power position that are making decisions for those who are not as privileged. And the gap continues to widen 
And, yep. you know, they're kids in my city of Little Rock that need to go to school. That's yep. where they get reached. That's where they get encouraged, mentored, mm-hmm. inspired. And, you know, I can help my child with math here at home, but a single parent living in an apartment, she may not be able to help her child with math. Yeah, you know, so that's that, feel, that's a great point. I don't mean to cut you off. I just want, I just want to get to some other callers here because we're up against the clock. But thank you so much, Laura. She made so many good points. But she's right. The people who are making these decisions, I think, are disconnected. And they're making these decisions and parents, they're hurting the people that they always say that they're helping, you know, the poor, the working class, those they say those are the people they're helping, but they're really not. Those kids, sometimes that's where they get their food. That's where, you know, you, you they say reports of child abuse are down because they're usually uh, reported, you know, in the schools when the kid comes in and he's got bruises or she's got bruises and, you know, the teachers are looking out for them, though that's not happening. The mental health is some of these kids. They're not they're not getting it. And so um, sometimes even the physical health with a with a school nurse or some kind of uh, school care. So they 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 are disconnected. And I think that was an excellent point that she made as far as being afraid to come back. I say it all the time. I grew up drinking well water and from a garden hose in Jersey. So um, I truly don't think I think my body has fought off worse than coronavirus and survived. So I think I'm going to be OK. And I hope you will as well. Thank you for letting me join you on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter. Have a great day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.